First up, hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Sport and History Podcast. My name is Connor Heffernan and I'm very happy to be joined by Paul Hawkins. Paul has just published Football's First 100 Years, 1866-1966, Splendid Isolation to England's Finest Hour. So, Paul, thank you for joining me for the podcast and can you talk about like, what the book is about, how it came about and as well as Great, we can start to dig into that. Great, great. Thank you very much, Connor. Um, so I'm Paul, I'm, I'm Paul Hawkins. I've been a football fanatic all my life. Um, this is the first time I've written a football book, but I've been planning to do it for quite a long time, and I think I've got the sort of the information. This is a period that really interests me. Um, uh, initially, uh, 1866, when the first uh, football match started, it was actually a game between Sheffield, um, uh, one of the originators of football. And, and London, so that's the very first game, 1866. Um, then I trace um, basically the history of the Footballers Association, um, uh, 1904 when FIFA was formed, right under the very noses, which upset the Football Association, it pulled out of football for a number of years, um, until we get to England's finest hour, 1966. I don't think people realise in 1966 that was going to be the last time we won the World Cup. <laughs> but, but that's how it, that's how it uh, all, all turned out. Uh, so basically, in, in um, uh, the Football Association was formed in, in 1863, and they became the governing body of football. Um, they moved very quickly. They saw the demand for football in the north of England and the in the um, um, in the football at that time, basically, was played by the public schools, and they had aspects of rugby in it, right? So, one of the first jobs of the Football Association was to separate it completely from rugby. Um, 1860s, 1870s, you could still catch the ball and run with it, right? Um, and then they, they they codified the rules, or the Sheffield rules, which were which were used by the public schools. Um, sorry, the Cambridge rules were ruled by the, used by the public schools. There's the Sheffield rules from the north of England and the London rules, and they codified them and, and exported the rules to South America, Eastern Europe, and basically they became the official rules of football, which haven't changed a lot in 150 years. Um, so um, that, was the, that was the first job. Um, they moved very quickly. 1872, they, they created the FA Cup. It basically the same FA Cup that exists today in 150 years. The final played at one of the leading stadiums. The stadiums in those days are Crystal Palace and and uh, and, uh, and the Oval, Kennington Oval, and then um, Wembley Stadium when it opened up in 1923. Um, the crowds increased tremendously in the, the 1870s, which was principally the, the public schools, and then the then the, the teams from the north of England started uh, being created from the um, Cottonwood towns of Burnley, Blackburn, Bolton, Manchester, Preston, um, and and uh, football basically took off. So in 1872, I think you had a crowd of about 20,000 to watch the FA Cup final. By 1913, they had 100,000 at Crystal Palace. So it just showed the explosion of football right. in, in, in the interest. And the same thing was happening in other parts of the world. South America as well, there was a big explosion. So um, the Football Association has established itself as a governing body of football, right, without any dispute. Mm-hmm. Then right under the noses in 1904, <laughs> FIFA was established in, in Paris. It must have come as a terrible blow mm-hmm. uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the FA. Um, and um, basically, they, they just couldn't accept it. 
Um, so uh, for almost 40 years, they refused to have anything to do with any international event, which included the Olympic Games in 24-28, the initial World Cups all organized by FIFA, 1930 in, in Uruguay, 1934 in Italy, 1938 in France. They refused to enter a team. And they went through it, and, and in that period, of course, what happened was that they lost their supremacy in football. All the other teams started catching up because they were getting all this experience of playing together, etc. 1950, um, uh, England finally decided to enter a team. Um, they, they, they rejoined FIFA in 1946. 1950, they played in the World Cup in Brazil, but they just weren't prepared for it. There was, the, the players had to, I was talking about this to one of the, uh, one of the other uh, um, lecturers this morning, and um, uh, basically it was a transatlantic flight, and probably a lot of the players were a bit nervous about flying, mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, they were ill-prepared, they were beaten, they were beaten by the USA, which is a historic event in the United States. <laughs> They were beaten by Spain and they came home with their tail between their legs, um, a com completely fair place. And, and then in 1953, they were defeated by this fantastic Hungarian team. Mm -hmm. uh, 1963 at Wembley. In 1954, they were defeated again in Budapest 7-1. Uh, 1954 World Cup, they were knocked out by Uruguay. So it's a very, very dark period of, of, of our English football. And, and, and I, my book basically describes the reasons for that, and one of them was we lost our supremacy during this, during this period of splendid isolation when mm -hmm. we refused to, to play in the international events. Um, they had a manager by the name of Walter Winterbottom for about 16 years, but uh, Walter was a highly respected guy by the Football Association. He was more of an establishment figure. Um, but didn't really have experience to run a, a football team, had no real club experience. So finally, common sense prevailed, um, and they appointed uh, an experienced club manager, Alf Ramsey. Alf Ramsey wasn't the first choice. Walter Winterbottom was left to, to appoint his own um, uh, manager because he decided to retire. Um, and Alf Ramsey was not his first choice. Alf, Alf actually played as a player for Walter. He played about 30 times for England. Um, and he wasn't his first choice. I probably probably knew him, but maybe there was some feeling between them. Um, and then if it weren't for a guy called Graham Doggart, who was the chairman of the FA at that time, I don't think Alf Ramsey would have been appointed, and I don't think England would have won the World Cup. But Graham Doggart was the only person of, in the FA who, who thought that Ramsey was suitable for the job, mm -hmm. and, he, and they appointed him. 62, they appointed Alf Ramsey, three or four years, uh, later, they won the World Cup. So, so, uh, and I described the World Cup, uh, what it was about Alf Ramsey, you know, how he did it. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the one of the one of the ways he did it was that he instilled his confidence in the players. He said right from the outset, "We're going to win the World Cup," um, and the media didn't believe him because England had just gone through this terribly dark period, right? Um, they just didn't believe it, and he kept he kept. He kept going, going to win, going to win. the players believed it, and um, you know the rest is history. They, they, uh, they, they succeeded, uh, and I don't think there's any doubt that that they had the best team in the World Cup at that at that, at that time. They played their games at home. That was a tremendous advantage. Mm -hmm. Every single game was played at Wembley. Uh, that was an advantage. 
but I, uh, I firmly believe that they, they, had the, they had the best team there, and uh, all France is seeded. Uh, you might ask me uh, why we've, you know, <laughs> why it hasn't subsequently. <laughs> we've never won the cup in the next 56 years. Yeah. You know? At that time, 66, no one thought that was the last time that England was going to win the World Cup. And so going back because I mentioned the splendid isolation period, like as as an Irish man, it's quite a funny thing because FIFA recognised Ireland yeah. during the period when England are still sort of in con like you know at odds with FIFA. Yeah, yeah. So I always think that's a funny like little bit of spite from FIFA recognising Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what's the conversation when FIFA is formed in 1904, and then what's the conversation when England decide to? Like play ball for one of the bad Well, well they, they tried to, uh, the England in 1904 desperately tried to pull the rug from under it mm -hmm. for, for a period of about a year. And then, and then um, there must have been very, some very determined French people who, who set up FIFA at that time. Um, and, then, and then they, just, they tried to set up uh, their own organization mm -hmm. um, and then finally gave in. Um, on the on the condition that an Englishman was the chairman of FIFA. So actually, from the period of 1906, I think it was, to 1917, when he died in office, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Woolfall, who who was who was the chairman of, of FIFA. Up to that period, everything was okay; they'd accepted it. But then they fell out with him again, and then they basically they they. they, they it pulled out and didn't rejoin until 1946. There was a, a period of time when, when they had nothing to do with it. And, and one of the reasons uh, England maintained that the whole nation's tournament, you know, with England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, mm -hmm. which was very competitive, highly competitive, that they, they consider that to be superior to any other event. Yeah. <laughs> Funny that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and as well within that, then so we have like the home nations and the importance of the home nations. Are the home nations always been contrasted then with what's happening in Europe? Like, as I was looking, thinking, well, look how strong we are, unlike Uruguay, yeah. for example, yeah. or you know, things yeah. like that. So it's always in, in conversation with yeah. Yeah. what's happening. There were, there were some incredible comments. I mean, there's a guy called John Suckler for his next referee, mm -hmm. who, who was who was a, a member of the football league, not the football association, the football league, and he made a comment like. I couldn't care two hoops about the development of football in Europe. I mean, he's been, he's been well quoted. This was the this was the feeling, you know, and, 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 and they, they did consider themselves superior. I'm sure it's happened in other sports as well. They did consider themselves superior, hmm. and uh, and then they they you know, they got overtaken by everybody because of this attitude, principally, they got overtaken. But. And when England sort of come back into the fold, then is that a recognition that? Like the South Americans are maybe stronger than us, or, or is it that like we want to now test ourselves against Uruguay or against Sweden or against Hungary? Yeah, like what's I, the I, I think the, the mentality and I suppose the people changed. Mm, so when you yeah. got to 1946, you had a different set of people mm -hmm. involved in the football association to do maybe with a you know um, different attitude, and and they realised there's no point in fighting any longer. Mm -hmm. um, International football arrived, and uh, they had no option but to join. But the 1950 World Cup, I, I'd like to do a further study in the 1950 World Cup because I think they were they were very very poorly prepared for that. Mm -hmm. I don't think they they actually wanted to 
to, to participate and, and travel all the way to Brazil. Uh, that's where it was held. And, and, um, and I think there's more in that than each other. And that's why they did so badly because of lack of preparation. And being like some, obviously I'm aware of the home nations, I'm actually quite ignorant in terms of England. Like, was the home nations, that was the furthest they travelled prior to 1950 or? Yeah, the home, na- the home nations tournament started in 18, about 1880, around about 1880. Yeah. And, and uh, the, 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 uh, the superior team there was Scotland, by the way. And, and um, one of the reasons, in the, when the football league started in, in 1888, 89, uh, won by Preston North End, they did it principally because it imported a lot of Scottish footballers and they were, they were playing a different type of football in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if, if there had been any ranking, world ranking of, of football uh, nations, say 1920, Scotland would be the number one, yeah. And as I was looking at then, England prior to 1950, like they didn't go to France to play friendly, to yeah. Hungary, they, or they did? Yeah, they did. Oh, they had, okay. Yeah, so yeah. They, had they, they, they played friendly. The first team that beat England was uh, Spain in 1929. Right. Okay. And, then, and then they lost a few more in the, in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason, another interesting thing is that the reason that Spain, Italy had a very good team in the 30s, um, they had a very good coach. At that time, the FA controlled everything. They didn't want. They felt they didn't need a coach. Mm-hmm. They, they wanted to keep control over the team. But uh, no, we played uh, the, the teams. They played a lot of football against their the friendly neighbours like France and yeah. and, and, uh, and and Belgium, um, Hungary. Um, not so much Germany, Italy. Italy, of course, you had fascism in the 30s, mm. and Italy and, and, and Germany in particular, so they, they, they didn't play so much against them. But yeah, they, they continue playing against the. Yeah, it, it, the it's funny teams. then because like they have experience of tours, but then the Brazil tour seems to be this slapdash. Uh, yeah, they, they, were, they, were, they were friendly games, you know. They yeah, were, yeah. Like, they weren't competitive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then it's funny that when they do decide to go to a World Cup, as you said, the preparations for Brazil yeah. seem to be like just put together last minute, not really well thought out. That's right. And then that's right. And and I remember reading a, a newspaper article which said that England went there as the favourites. Really? Which is which is absurd, really. Right? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> it's an English newspaper is that that they were favourites. <laughs> I mean, they, they were way behind. They're way behind the other the other countries. So. And was there any reason, give, like, where they're saying, like, look at our domestic teams and they play an Italian team? We like, what was the? Or they were just saying we're the favourites. Did they have any any evidence to say why? Or I think they said they thought they were supreme. Just thought they they, yeah. they, they, they thought they still had the supremacy in mm-hmm. in, in world football. Um, and it's really surprising because there's been an explosion of, of, um, of, of in, uh, in South American football in particular. And uh, I, I think it's um, I, I think it's something historical mm-hmm. that, that they, they couldn't get out of their minds that they, they were the supreme nation. And I'm sure it's happened in other sports as well. And mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, Olympic Games is. Um, we lost our supremacy in the Olympic Games as well, by the way. If you if you, if you look at the performance uh, of the of the, I'm mean, talking Britain now. Yeah. If you look at the performance in the Olympic Games, uh, right up to 1932, they had a number of gold medals. Then, if you get into if you get into 19 
1948, 52, 62. They only had about one or two gold medals. Mm -hmm. So everyone had caught us up in, in athletics as yeah, well. Yeah, but still there was an idea of... Yeah, now later on, of course, when, when it came professional, it you know, we could afford a yeah. profession, it was doing a lot better in the Olympic Games, right? But over there, so I think similar, similar things happened in the Olympic Games to, to the um, to football as well. Uh, in terms of, I suppose, shocks to the system, so like you've already mentioned like Pushkas in Hungary, sort of spanking England over two legs. Did the 1950 World Cup, was that a soul-searching moment as well, because that's obviously, for some, England are going in the favourites, lose to the US, you know, come back. I think it was the start, I think it was the start of this dark period when the media realised we weren't up to it in the 1950. Yeah. But then they would say, well, yeah, it was in Brazil. Well, we're, we're not used to playing in South America. Yeah, there's always a, like, <laughs> we, we lost, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's curious, but the, 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 the Hungarian, those two defeats by Hungary hit, hit the nation very hard. Mm -hmm. Then they realized. I mean, they, but the thing was that that Hungary team was absolutely spectacular, that they were absolutely brilliant. Um, and they were they were unbeaten for 42 games. So I, I have I have a list in there of all the results mm -hmm. of, the, of that Hungarian team from from that would have been from about 50, 52 to 56, and we got a Hungarian revolution, which was, that was the end of Hungarian football, basically. Yeah. Um, and um, and then um, yeah, who were the other who were the other teams? Uh, the France and Germany had had a good team there. 50. 54, we didn't do very well in 54 World Cup either. Uh, 58, um, this is when Brazil yeah, had their run. Uh, 62, uh, and then it was 62 when Alfredo was appointed, so he changed everything. And I'm just trying to think about that sort of decade of dark periods, beginning with Brazil 1950 and then having the Hungarian team. Like, Hungary is obviously it seems like the biggest shock to the yeah the idea of what British football is. Yeah. Is there any other things that haven't been as well documented as well recorded that had an equal impact as well as on the psyche of British football? Because I think the story of Hungary coming over and decimating like the WM system, I think, would have been for England at the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, is there another? Is, are there other stories as well that are similar to that that haven't been told, or is it mainly like Hungary? That's the. I think it was Hungary, uh, Hungary in Europe, mm. and and I think it was um, Argentina, Brazil, and and Uruguay and South America. Yeah. They they they, they, they um, and the and the the, the fifty eight Brazilians suddenly Pele emerged, right? Mm. Pele emerged in other fifty eight. This seventeen seventeen well, years old. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's got two hundred goals, two hundred <laughs> league goals before he's twenty one. Yeah. Um and and I don't think that some people don't look back that far. I I, I say on on Facebook they talk about the best players in the world, yeah. you know, and the people tend to say Messi or Ronaldo. Yeah, then you look at seventeen year olds. You can't go back that yeah. far. <laughs> To, to, to play, but so 58, that, that was uh, that was something quite spectacular in the Brazilian team. Again, we also, it, it coincided with television, because that's mm. on television, so we yeah. can actually watch that, 58, 58 uh, 62. But that, that Brazilian team, so 58-62, was, was that as well. And to ask, like, I, I know what, I think I know what the answer will be, so, like, Ramsey being appointed in 62, they're obviously looking at, like, Hungary and the South American teams, like there is a lineage of British coaches who've coached in Europe. Is there any conversation about 
bringing some of them back in with their European experience now or bringing in a European coach? Or what's the process of hiring Ramsey? Because you said he's only sort of the favourite choice of... Yeah, they didn't look outside. Didn't look outside at all within England. No, didn't look outside, no. no. The, the, the um, European um, coaches at that time were not that well known. The only one who was well known was Vittorio Pozzo, who was the Italian, yeah. Italian coach of the 1930s uh, mm-hmm. Italian team. He, he was about the only one the hung, there's hung, hung, well, ironically, um, two quite well-known British coaches, mm-hmm. Jimmy Hogan and George Rayner, were coaching overseas. Yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah, they didn't do too well in the UK. So, it's a, and, and George Rayner coached the Swedish team to the World Cup final in 1958, and Brazil played Sweden in 1958 World Cup final. And George Rayner was a, was a coach of the, the Swedish team. So he was overlooked. I mean, he was yeah. overlooked. There's someone sort of ready-made. Well, to... I don't know. It's serious, actually. But he was he was regarded as the traitor because he'd gone overseas. It's very funny, isn't it? Because like, <laughs> after the Hungarian defeat, there is that soul-searching: should we change to adapt to the European? Yeah. And you seem to have the ready answer in the Europe. An English manager manages yeah, yeah. in Europe That's all right. the experience, but he's a That's he's right. a traitor. So no, I wouldn't consider him at all. <laughs> That's incredible. So, Ramsey is appointed 62. Obviously, there's a great triumph in 66. It, like, what's the expectation when he's hired in 62? Because you say he keeps saying, we're going to win, we're going to win, we're going to win. When he replaces Walter Win- uh, Winterbottom, like, what is the, the pressure, the expectation, the objective in the FA around that time, or even in the country at that time? Like, is it... We've appointed out Ramsey. We're going to win the World Cup, or we've appointed out. Well, I, I don't think there were high expectations. Yeah. But even even when Alf Ramsey just taken a third division team to the first division mm. and won it in the first time at mm. the time, right? Um, and and so so he he had a history of success. But 62, 63, right up to 64, I, I honestly don't think there were high expectations mm. because people knew how good the Brazilians were for a start. Um, Brazilians didn't perform in '66, fortunately. Um, they, you know, they knew how good the, the, the Italians and the Germans were. Um, so I don't think there were high expectations. And, and the very first game in the World Cup um, was against Uruguay, and, and there was a no no draw, and there were boos at the end. They thought, well, this is this is it. We're not going to win. Yeah. And, and then they steadily improved. So. And uh, like it's something actually I've never looked into. But I'm interested now chatting to. Like, at what point do, does the press and everyone start say, oh, we might actually... Because I'm just thinking about the last Euros for the men's team, where there's this sort of like, okay, we've done well in the group stages, and then it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, football's coming home, and then it's only when it gets to the final. It was, like, it was as they progressed, yeah. game by game, people started realising it was a win. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think there was a realisation after the first couple of games. I think what changed it in the... Um, in the uh, second game, they hadn't scored a goal until about the 30th minute of the second game, and Bobby Charlton scored it from 30 yards. Yeah, okay. And the fact that lifted, like that goal lifted the whole nation. Yeah. Like, we're going we're gonna to do it, you know. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it, it, it's a gradual process. Then they got closer and closer, and um, you know, I'm sure there are some people, you know, who are thinking, uh, well, we can. We'll go so far, but mm. we're not going to win this thing. You know, how can we possibly win it? You yeah. know, it was a history of failure in the past, 
how can we how can we win it? But uh, they did it, and uh, and wonderful. going into the final, West Germany, are they? Favorites now, or is it like we like we have a chance? I think I think by the time they got to the final, I think both most, most people thought that we had the advantage of playing at home, where Wembley mm-hmm. Stadium, a hundred thousand people, and I, and I think most people then thought, well, we've got so far now, we're not going to lose it. Yeah, yeah. and they had a lot, a lot more confidence in the team by then, mm. and, and the way they were playing also. And before we go on to as well, maybe some of the more surprising things. I mean, so did you look at? Um, like why the F- or not the FA Cup, pardon me, why the World Cup came to England in '66? Because it seems so funny for the FA to say, not only okay, we're going to start competing in the World Cup, but we're actually going to host this. Like they do a complete about this, yeah, this, yeah. this is another uh, irony, Connor. Um, and England have never had the World Cup since then. Yeah, because yeah. because of you know, the, the history of, of, of between FIFA and, and the Football Association mm-hmm. and anything else. Um, but um, they were only awarded the, the uh, hosting of the World Cup because the chairman of FIFA was a British person, mm-hmm. Stanley Rice. Yes, uh, of course. And and and, uh, and the person before it, his, his name was um, Jury. Jury. Mm-hmm. They are the only two British people who have ever uh, chaired the, the FIFA. And, and they basically gave it to the, the, so their host nation. That's, that's, that's yeah. how we got it. That they still, but it's still the same. I mean, you know, here we're going. Uh, they've already decided on the on the 28, 20, where are we? 20 to 26. Yeah. 26 is going to be Mexico, Canada, and, and the USA. USA right? yeah. On 19, uh, uh, 2030. Now they're thinking about going back to Uruguay again because mm-hmm. it's their uh, anniversary. Of, yeah. uh, and, and so you know, well, here we are, right up to 2030. They still haven't had another <laughs> World Cup, and we've got countries like Mexico had it twice. Yeah. All the other, most of the other countries, leading countries, had it twice. That is a funny thing because I know even there there is talk. I suppose if the COVID hadn't impacted the last year or so, the men. Like there was going to be that great European reply all over Europe and everyone has two games or whatever. And yeah. There's always been talk of like an Ireland and England and Scotland and Wales. Yeah. Like join bids. Well, that would be, that would be the opposite. I think that's probably going to happen. Yeah, well, if the USA, Canada, and yeah, Mexico. I'm not sure I'm going to be around, but it'll probably something <laughs> 2040 or something. <laughs> um, so in terms of like writing the book, for you, obviously, like as a football fan, and that comes across when we're chatting. Like, what was the story that surprised you? Because no matter what, like how much someone knows, and you're researching something, there's going to be something that you didn't know it was as important as it was. Yeah, or, well, this is the interesting thing about writing is because you're researching the whole time, and it yeah. a lot of things come as a surprise. I, I didn't realize uh, one of one of the things. Uh, I didn't realize the work that the Football Association did early on. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they became the governing body and they lost it to FIFA, but they became the governing body and then they, 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 they were the FA Cup. Um, um, and, and, and also, the, the thing that interests me, I think there's been a, a movie, a documentary on this, is, is the, the relationship between the, the, the public school old boys who yeah. controlled football and then the professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from the from the cotton mills, and, and, and how they were wise enough to realise that that this was the future, mm-hmm. um, and and the, basically the you know in all the initial FA Cups, um, the, the the public school old boys were controlling it, and then 
But when the game became professional, basically their their time was over. Yeah. You never heard from them again. You never heard of old Tonys. Never heard of Royal Engineers and all these these clubs. They went they went into amateur football. Yeah. But but um, that was a that was a death of them really. And then and then the the, the professional teams came along from the north of England in particular. So so that that was something I enjoyed the search on. And um, and then the strength of this opposition between between uh, the football association and FIFA that, that came as a bit of a surprise really, um, and uh, and and also um, the the this splendid isolation whereby in the 1930s. Um, the football association thought they could manage without a coach. When yeah. all these other teams, they were playing yeah. against, all had coaches. So when they were lining up, and what they used to do is is um, appoint a club manager, a different one each time. This is in the 30s, right? Each time to to make sure that they were all kitted out and they turned up on time, <laughs> and that was it. You know, and then they, they, so they were they were playing a game against Italy. Played a couple mm-hmm. of times in the 30s. When there was a coach there on the you know, on the touchline shouting at the players, yeah. nobody, nobody for the England team. <laughs> it's a certain confidence in the players, but maybe not the best way doing things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, as a final question, I suppose before we ask, like, where can people find this, etc. Um, what story haven't we talked about in your book, or what haven't we covered that is a really important bit of this first hundred years um, for English football? Um, or have I done a wonderful job? It's okay to say I've done a wonderful job. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. Have I? Have I ex- is there anything I've excluded? Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe wartime football. I think interesting happened the wartime wartime football, and um, we lost a lot of footballers in the First World War mm-hmm. and the Second World War. There's a lot of football went on there, um, and I think that um, the. One of the reasons that South American football uh, emerged so suddenly in the, in the 1920s was because they didn't have a war. Yeah. yeah. They basically played right through the war years, mm-hmm. probably the only part of the world that did. Um, and, 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 and that's why they came out on top you know, in, the, in their 20s. It took us quite a while to recover. So I haven't covered those war years. I didn't recover or the, or the, or the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there were a lot of things happening there. Yeah, and yeah, it's funny, in my own world of research, um, like American weightlifting after World War II, they're the most dominant nation because, again, yeah. their war was fought overseas, whereas yeah. the European, Asian, Russian wars were fought yeah. Literally in the country, so it's interesting to think about sort of the unintended consequences sometimes around who can play sport and who can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but right. That's right. In any case, um, where can people find your wonderful book, Football's First 100 Years? I'll include like links and you know. To yeah, it, I, I, uh, the, 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 the final version has been published September, October. September. Okay, brilliant. Right. So it'll be in the book. It'll be in the bookstores. So I'll keep in touch with the SFH and and, uh, and I'll you know obviously send you all the links and everything and you hopefully we'll sell a few copies. <laughs> Perfect. There we go. Buy buy the book. So again, yeah. that's football's first 100 years, 1866 to 1966. Splendid isolation. English finest diary by Paul Hawkins. Paul, thank you very much. Okay. Uh, thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you.